church is to saturate our city with the love and light of Jesus and start with our families and onto our neighbors and co-workers and then to the very ends of the earth. And it's amazing to me, just thinking this morning, it's amazing to think that one day in the new heavens and new earth that I will worship with brothers and sisters of mine that I've never met who came to faith as a result, a direct result of my praying and my giving. And God is doing an incredible work with our, um, our friends in Southeast Asia, um, our PAL team working over there. You'll hear more opportunities about an actual trip this year to go see them. But this is, this is our approach, above and beyond. Last year we started this, we gave it, uh, we named this season above and beyond when people took this step of faith. It comes from uh, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all we can think or ask or even imagine. And that God, we serve an above and beyond kind of God and he wants to do the above and beyond in our lives. And some of you during that season, you took a faith step by getting involved in a, one of our groups, a community group. From, some of you served with us at the hub for the first time. Others got involved in serving our community in different ways. Some people took their first mission trip. Some shared their faith for the first time. It was really cool, as Jason said. And we have dozens and dozens of stories of how God moved in a supernatural way through that season. And as we were just seeking the face of God during that season, again, this is a year ago, um, we really felt God lead us to expand our capacity to reach our city by raising some funds to actually build a facility, improve our ministries, to devote even more money to the poor in our community and starting new churches and reaching the lost around the planet. Our two-year uh, commitment goal really was about $500,000 and through our efforts and some outside giving, we reached that 500,000 mark. And it was pretty amazing to see what God did through that. So over this last year, we've continued investing um, some of those funds that we've raised in Covenant Shreveport. We've invested tens of thousands of dollars in New Orleans. Jamie's gonna tell you more about some opportunities there. We've invested in our current ministries. We were able to spend some money on some things that we're gonna use in the new building and go and start using them now. We've given a lot of money away. We've taken the gospel <clears throat> and invested in overseas places like Southeast Asia. As for the building, I just wanted to give you a quick update. If you got this little thing, will you get this little, this little brochure out? And we're actually gonna get to the message in just a second. But the win for us through this series, um, through this initiative, was to grow as a disciple, to grow as a family, and to grow as a missionary. Those are our kind of three key identities that we have as a church. To grow as a disciple by participating and cultivating, hearing and obeying. You're going to hear that a lot here. If you do not want to be moved by the Spirit and see Him work supernaturally through you, you're going to be pretty miserable here because this is the life that God has for us, right? And we want you to grow in that and cultivate that spiritual muscle of hearing and obeying, to grow as family, asking God what He wants us to actually give financially and invest um, 
And some of you have been doing that so faithfully. Now, if you're new here, of course, you like just, this is your first or second Sunday. I'm not talking to you. Feel no obligation to join in financially. Um, but we, we do want what God wants for you, absolutely. But there's been about 100 new people that have come to our church since last year we did this. And we want to give you an opportunity to participate with what's going on here. And then to grow as a missionary to invest and invite, to share your story, to share God's story. So great to hear what Emily was even saying um, this morning about her cultivating that, hearing the promptings of the Holy Spirit and obeying. So through this uh, halftime, we're halfway there. And there's two things that I want you to really know. Two things that I'm asking our faith family to pray for. We have penciled in April 31st as our official groundbreaking. In faith, There's a, there are several steps that still have to happen, but that is just a short time away. And I want you to literally pray with us that we can accomplish that goal, that we would have some, be able to have some sort of groundbreaking, be close enough on April the 31st, um, which is, you know, just a, a few months away. And then between now and then, um, our faith family needs to raise about another $150,000. And uh, we've talked to the bank and we've, God has just done some incredible things. We've been through every approval process. We've been working on this. I cannot believe we've been working on this for a year already. But those are the two things we're praying for, that God supernaturally would come through on, on those ways. Let me pray for us and let's get into the text today. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it to our lives as we sit still just for a minute. Holy Spirit, would you prepare our ears to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to feel or the weight of your words to us. I pray that we're not just a people who sing songs like you're the God who moves mountains, the God who can do the impossible, the God who reigns above it all. But we, we really believe that with conviction and we live in a manner that identifies that very conviction. God, do in us, that those that are weak and weary, I pray you would strengthen them today. Those that are running from you, I pray that they would feel your love coming after them today. Bring conviction of sin, bring encouragement, bring healing, bring the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to introduce you to uh, a man that you're likely familiar with, at least maybe uh, you learned a little song about way back when, if you went to church or vacation Bible school, Father Abraham. You remember the song? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons have, uh, okay, I won't sing, I won't sing to you, but that's it, right? And this is about this, we call him Father Abraham because the beginning of our redemption story starts with Abraham. Now our story started with Adam and Eve and remember the sin that entered the world and then with Noah and God destroyed all the evil in the world and saved yet his own family and there was a promise made to Noah, a rainbow in the, in, in the clouds, you remember this? But then Abraham comes right after that and this is God calling a man who he is going to be the channel in which the gospel, the good news of Jesus would eventually come. This is why we call him Father Abraham. 
It says in Hebrews 11, speaking a chapter on faith, speaking of Abraham's faith, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. But before we really get to his story, I want to just back out even a little further. In the beginning, God had made his commitment to humanity clear all the way back in the beginning that he was going to bring men and women from every nation back into a loving, vital relationship with himself. And he chose a select group of people to be the vessels through whom he would actually fulfill that divine mission. Actually, when God actually launched this mission we're going to see today, they weren't even a group yet. They were just a guy. So we could say that it wasn't just the chosen people, but Abraham was the chosen guy. Personally, I love this story because life just didn't happen to Abraham. He happened to life. He didn't just go with the flow. He stood against his family and society and redefined the future even for us. The gospel has come all the way to us beginning with him. Abraham was a man who multiplied his life and it gives us a picture of how God wants to use each of us in the world. But when his story starts, he's got nothing. There's a little tragic irony in this if you really study the man's name. Abram, which is where we meet him in, back in, in Genesis 12, his name literally means father, but he's 75 when the story opens up and he doesn't have any kids. And this is not lost on the author of Hebrews, written thousands of years later, who even says, you, maybe you caught that phrase as Daniel was reading it, that he was as good as dead. That's encouraging, isn't it? You're 75, you're just as good as dead. But God had quite a plan still for Abraham. Later on, God changes his name to Abraham, which means the father of many, not just father, but the father of many. But when his name is changed, he's still childless. It's like his life was a cruel joke on himself. You know those really, really big guys they call tiny? And it's like an oxymoron kind of a name? That's kind of what's going on here. Like his name is father of many and yet he is childless. But he seems to have destiny written into him. He's nearing the end of his life. He's got nothing. Life is mocking him, not just his name, but the promise of God seems so ironic, if not funny. Flip back over if you um, got a Bible with you to Genesis chapter 12. This is where it starts. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12 and verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And if you underline, you might underline that last verse there. And all the peoples of, on earth will be blessed through you. This is what scholars call the Abrahamic covenant. And just so we wouldn't forget it, the author of Genesis writes this covenant in scripture for us to read five times in Genesis. 
It's here in 12, it's again in uh, in chapter 18, again in chapter 22, again in chapter 26, again in chapter 28. Abraham had found grace in the eyes of God and through him we would all find grace. The promise of blessing was an explicit promise of the coming Messiah. Through Abraham's descendants, God would eventually, literally send the Messiah who would bless all the families of the earth. And the blessing that God is talking about here is the blessing of salvation. It would start in Abraham's house, is what it says here in Hebrews 11. That his faith was credited to him as righteousness. What was required of Abraham to receive this promise and become the blessing is that he would have to trust God in faith. And friends, I don't know your religious journey or how you got to this place or where you've seen God move or if you're in this group and you don't believe any of this thing, you just came with someone else and you're just kind of kicking the tires on this whole Christianity thing. But let me tell you, the Christian life is a life lived by faith. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews would say, and just a little earlier in verse six in the, before the passage we looked at, he would say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. Not kind of difficult, not a little hard, not an uphill battle. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And Abraham had to live, leave everything he knew He had to leave his family, his kin. He had to leave his culture. He had to leave even his own country. He left everything and trusted this God that he had just met. He had to take his hands off of everything that he owned and loved in order to become God's child and God's vessel. And he had to believe God for the impossible. Abraham and Sarah are childless, which is a challenge for any couple, but verse Four tells us that Abraham is 75 and his wife is in her 60s. And by that point, you've pretty well concluded that this child thing is just not going to happen. Amen, right? But God still had an incredible thing, incredible plan for Abraham. I I, want to give us four crucial things as we look at Abraham's life. Things we learn on what it means to follow God. Four crucial things that we need to understand about following God and experiencing his plan for your life. The first, and I've already touched on it, is that following God requires walking by faith. He rarely gives you the map, friends. As a matter of fact, I don't know if he ever gives you the map. He just tells you to follow him. Abraham had to trust God with a completely unknown future. God said to Abraham, go, and Abraham said, where? And God said, I'll show you when it's time. In other words, God tells Abraham, I won't tell you what's next until you leave what is now. And friends, this is the invitation that God is giving all of us, that he he invites us to step into places and spaces with very little information. Anyone else have a problem with that? Anyone else just, I, I'm the kind of guy that, like if you invite me to dinner, I want to know where, and I want to know who's going to be there, and I want to look at the reviews, and I want to check out the menu, 
I want to know everything so that when I sit down at dinner and the waitress comes and says, you know, can I tell you anything about it? I'm like, no, I'm ready for this. I have literally planned for three days what I'm going to get here, right? I have thought about it and calculated it and, and, and I'm here. Yet, God's call to us doesn't include any of those things. God invites us to step in the spaces and places with very little information. Let me pause here. Confusion and ambiguity are two very different things. Don't get these two mixed up. God is not the author of confusion. Scripture clearly tells us that. Yet he is certainly the architect of ambiguity. And not just here. This is the story of Abraham's life for his whole life. God says Abraham to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham says, how? And God says, I'll take care of that. Abraham, you just worry about following me. And later in his life, God's going to tell Abraham, go to the top of the mountain and sacrifice your very own son. And Abraham says, why? And God answers, Abraham, I'll show you later. Just climb. At every step, Abraham had to follow God into the unknown. I love how John Calvin summarized this very passage, <clears throat> interaction with Abraham. Just close your eyes and take my hand. I love that. Just close your eyes and take my hand. I see so many people I talk to unwilling to do this. They want to know God. Yet they have all these conditions about this. God, I, I, I want to know you, but, but first I want you to, I, I, I want to know where you're going to make me go. Do I have to be a missionary? Do I have to live in a, in a hut somewhere? Will I have to break up with my boyfriend? Do I have to be poor? And God, I don't understand this, or I, this question still kind of remains. And, and God, I'd love to follow you, but am I going to become one of those annoying people? Most people never get past this hurdle and they never really start an actual journey with God because a journey with God requires you to take a step of faith. A step of faith today and another step of faith tomorrow and another step of faith. Couldn't God have just laid it all out for Abraham? Absolutely he could. Right there he could have told him where they were going to be, could have given him GPS coordinates, he could have moved a star over like he did in the nativity. I mean, he could have given, he could have given Abraham all of the details, but it wasn't really about the destination, it was about learning how to walk with God and trust him every step of the way. God says, for now, Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. Now, friends, I'm not telling you to turn your mind off. You have to figure out if it's really God. But once you do, are you willing to trust him? Friends, the Christian walk is a walk of faith. By faith, Abraham left his home and culture, the only things he ever knew, and he traveled at God's command. Even though it says in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, he didn't know where he was going. I mean, it was literally every step of the way. He would travel in a direction. I wonder how this interaction with him and God went. And he would go a little distance and they would stay and camp. And then they would get up the next morning and he's looking to God and says, God, where? And God would give him a direction and he would follow that direction. And that's just how it went every day of his life. Hebrews, uh, uh, verse 9 of Hebrews 11 
said that he lived in tents, which meant he, he never really reached a place where it was a permanent dwelling for him. How can someone leave everything behind with no solid plans or no GPS for guidance and no guarantees except God says, Abraham, I have a plan and a promise. How did Abraham do such a thing? Because his faith caused him to look into the future with the solid hope that there was a city waiting for him, it says, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 10 of Hebrews 11. That kind of faith in God, which risks everything, has been the inspiration behind so many amazing exploits and sacrifices made by servants of God throughout church history, throughout the Bible. The Old Testament, of course, is full of them. The book of Acts, this incredible detail, the birth of the church, of these people who just trusted God to do the impossible. Friends, following God requires walking by faith. Can I ask us this question? What area or domain of your life are you literally walking by faith in? Following God also means embracing this new identity, this dual identity. God's call to be part of his family and his call to be part of a rescue mission are the exact same call. 1 Peter 2, we're gonna talk about this in a couple of weeks, calls us royal, the royal priesthood. Meaning the little guys with the collars and you know that I can go to them and they can tell me something about the God that they serve. That is the mantle every believer carries on them. I think we think it's this, this, this spectrum that we take a step and we become a believer and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And then after maybe a thousand more steps, then God like gives us this like special secondary call in our life. But that is not the way it works. His call to be part of this family and his call to be part of the rescue mission are the exact same call. God's call to salvation and his call to mission are the same thing. Notice that when God first calls Abraham, it's a commissioning into a mission. There's a misconception among Christians that you get called to be God's child at one point and later to be his disciple. And then even after that, he puts you in mission. But in the Bible, the two calls are the exact same call. They're one and the same. When he called Moses in the desert, you remember he calls Moses his name out. He knows him in the burning bush. Moses, Moses, he says it twice, has this endearing uh, nature to it. He says, Moses, you belong to me and I've got a message for you to give to Pharaoh. Do you see it? He called them in and he sent them out. When he called Peter to be his disciple, remember he's fishing with the, with the disciples and he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat and then it filled up with fish and then they pull the fish in and what does Jesus tell them immediately? Follow me and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. His call to salvation and his call to the rescue mission was the exact same call. When God appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 26, this is God's interaction with Saul that would be transferred to Paul, which would be the greatest missionary in the New Testament. Now get up and stand on your feet, Jesus says to him. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. The first call was a dual identity kind of call. You are saved, radically safe. Your identity is in him. But I've got great plans for you. God's call on your life is a call to use you in his mission. Friends, we forget this because a lot of us, even today, we came in this morning with this consumer mindset. I'm gonna come in here and I'm just gonna see 
what kind of blessing I can receive. And that's not necessarily a, a bad posture, but if it's our only posture, then, we've, then we've, we've, we've mixed it up because we've not just been called to receive the blessing, but we've been called to receive the blessing and then to be a blessing. He blesses you to be a blessing. There's no such thing in the New Testament as a follower of Jesus who's just there for the stuff, who's just there to consume. God is like this spiritual merry-go-round. You ever had those merry-go-rounds? They don't do this anymore because I don't guess because it's so dangerous. Like, have you ever noticed that like the playground equipment when we were kids were like almost torture devices? Like how did, how did that even get through a school board meeting? Like we're gonna have these things hovering 20 foot above the ground and see if these little feeble kids with weak bones can cross them. We used to love the merry-go-round, right? And you would get to the very center and you would get, especially if we were in third or fourth grade, and then you would get your friends to push you as fast as they could and see who could hold on to the center the longest. And then at some point you couldn't anymore and you would just fling off that thing. In a sense, this is what God calls us to, like this spiritual merry-go-round. We're gonna get in and we're gonna experience this identity and love from the Father and, and he just bestowing this grace upon grace and he just loves us and forgives us. And I mean, there's so much joy and comfort and love and peace in that relationship. And then he says, oh, oh look, 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 look. I didn't just bless you so that you could just wallow in the blessings like this spiritual merry-go-round. I'm gonna bring you to the center and then I'm gonna thrust you out into the world because there's all these people who used to be who are still like you used to be without hope and without direction and lost. And I'm gonna send you to be my very mouthpiece, my very hands and feet so you can bring the beauty and hope of the gospel to them. We've been blessed in order to be a blessing. God's call on our lives. He blesses us to be a blessing. Jesus said in, in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you would go and bear forth true fruit. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit. Look at that. You've been chosen. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Jesus said, I picked you. I put my identity upon you. I wrapped you in, in, in who you are, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I've chosen you and now I'm sending you to go bear forth fruit. God chose you to receive a blessing, this eternal blessing, and then to be a blessing. This is such good news. I know some of you walked in here and you said, listen, my past was so jaded and so scary and it's got so much junk in it that I feel like Jesus had to cash in every chip that he had just to save me. But friends, be encouraged. Jesus has all the chips in the world and he made you and can remake you. God still wants to accomplish what he began in you when he instituted this plan of redemption of reaching the entire world. The calling and the promise and the challenge are both so relevant for us. In time, Israel would be that nation, but they were chosen to be a funnel for God's blessing, not a bucket that just absorbed it. We see the literal fulfillment of that purpose in many of the Old Testament stories. And that purpose has not changed. God still wants to accomplish what he began when he instituted this plan of redemption, of reaching the entire world, even through you. When God gave this promise to Abraham, he knew about you. 
He knew how he was going to reach legacy. And he knew how he was going to reach Benton. And he knew how he was going to reach the high schools and the middle schools. He was going to send you. He knew this. This plan to be this like blessing to the nations included you. Isn't that incredible? And this purpose has not changed. Friends, are, are, we're, are we conduits of the grace of God or are we just the buckets? Are we just like, Lord, give me all the stuff and my prayer time is like, Lord, give me this and fix this and just, it's all about me and I just want a comfortable life and I don't want any pain and if I can just have if the, just, just the American dream with some Jesus sprinkled on the top, that's really what I want. And help me win the billion dollar lottery because that would make my life so much better. This is what Christianity in the West has become. Lord, give me. And Jesus says, friends, man, I, I love you. It does not work that way. Following God means embracing this new dual identity. A lot of us love that chosen part, that identity part, but we, we just refuse to take a step to be a blessing. Thirdly, following God requires us to make him our treasure. To receive the blessing and to become the blessing, we have to take our hands off everything and make God our trust and his kingdom our delight. That's why God kept asking Abraham to take another step. Where am I going? Just trust me. This, you're going to where, this is where you're going today. And this is where you're going today. Every day he had to just trust him. God wasn't calling Abraham to make God a part of his life or to add a few tweaks to his morality. God called Abraham to a whole new basis of life. No longer would he find his security in how much he possessed or how he was able to provide for himself. He literally had to trust God. No longer would he spend his life building his own little kingdom. He left all of that to go seek and build God's kingdom. You see, following God is not just adding a little God to our lives. There's a poem that says, I want $3 worth of God please. And it's about us trying to come to God and say, God, this is, I just want a little bit of you. Following God is not just adding God to our lives, it's making God our trust for the future, his kingdom, our delight. All of us have a set of things that we depend on for our security things that we look to for our meaning and significance. It's our money, our job, our, the beauty, the way we look, our friends groups. It, I, I'll tell you one of the things, the way you know what you really look to for security is the things that you want most for even your kids. I want them to have all the best friends. I want them to be invited to all the right things. I want them to excel in this and to that. And it's not bad to want what's best for your kids. But you know what's the best thing to want for your kids? Is that they would see in you that you make Jesus Christ your trust and your treasure. Following God requires us making him our 
treasure. To follow God, fourthly, we have to believe the impossible. God is looking for people, A.W. Tozer quote, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only for the things that we can do by ourselves. Abraham had to believe what he couldn't understand and what seemed literally impossible and then act on it. Couldn't, couldn't God have called a 25-year-old? Absolutely could have. Couldn't have God have come to Abraham when he was 25? Absolutely. But then Abraham would have boasted his own strength. Look what I did. Look at me, the father of all the nations. No, God waited till he was 75 and as good as dead and said, now we're starting this new family tree. Abraham had to believe that God would keep his word. He had to close his eyes and take God's hand. And somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, he had to splash on a little cologne and put on some Marvin Gaye and make a family. And he did. I can say that here. I started the church. It's fine. Friends, for you to follow God, you have to believe that he can save you and that he's going to use your life for a blessing. Actually, the word blessing just sounds so weak. He wants to use the little things you got and he wants to change the world with it. Have you ever noticed that God just uses what's available? In the New Testament, the story of the, the, the boy with the few loaves and few fish. I was talking to Miss Julie earlier about the, about the book, The Praying Life that I encourage you all to read. We're just starting to read it as a staff, Paul Miller. One of the best things from that, from, that whole seri- that, from that whole book is this little phrase, pray what you got. And I've kind of translated that even into this, like just bring what you got. Bring what you got. There's 15,000 people in a field and there's nothing for them to eat. And Jesus sends the disciples out and say, go see if there's anything. Hey, there's this little boy, he's just got a few pieces of fish and a few loaves. Tell him to bring what he's got. When you bring what you got and you put it in the hands of the master that he can do anything. You remember the widow at Zarephath? When Elijah was looking for a place, he was, a, he was starving and he finds this lady and he's like, oh, hey, hey there, I'm starving. Um, can I have some food? And the lady's like, well, I got just a little bit of meal and I was gonna cook that and we were gonna have this little, this little biscuit, me and my son, and then we were just gonna die. They literally had nothing left and Elijah's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Can I get a piece of that? Can maybe just make me a little biscuit first? This story's in the Bible so that we would understand this is how God works, that we bring what we have. We, we don't wait till we have the tens of thousand dollars in the bank account and we're all safe and secure and then be like, okay, God, I'll give a little bit of that. What faith is in that? He doesn't wait till we know how to speak the language until he calls us to go serve on a mission trip in a foreign country. He doesn't wait till we got everything, he doesn't wait till we got everything figured out. No, he wants us to trust him and bring what we have. Well, Luke, that's scary. Of course it is. It's scary when you look at all the things that could possibly go wrong. You know when it's not scary? When you look at God's track record and that he has never, he has never let you down, friend. 
He has, he has never not come through on a promise ever, 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 ever in the history of who he is. He's never not come through. Now, he didn't always come through the way you think he's going to come through. Friends, bring what you got. He literally wants to use you to change the eternal destiny of people around the world. Not just make their life a little better. Not just make their day a little better. He wants to use you. This is the, this is, this is the, the infinite worth of the gospel that he placed in broken vessels, the prophet says. Why would he do that? So we would leak it everywhere. Bring what you got. Quick application. Friends, are we going to be buckets or funnels? When God blesses us, the bucket mentality is one that's really hard to resist. And as a result, if we even look at this story, Israel tended to focus so much on the promise that was involved that they began to neglect the challenging that was required of them to actually be a blessing. And for a while, the bucket mentality continued on, even in the formation of the church. And the same resistance to living out that had plagued the Jews before Jesus continued to plague the Jews who even recognized that he was the Christ. They made it again about themselves. Many of them wanted only to reach out to their ethnic group. However, in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, the church leaders finally decide they realized what God was trying to do here from the beginning, that he was committed to going global with this Christianity thing. And whoever didn't get on board would be left behind. Jesus himself would say in Matthew 28, therefore you go and make disciples of all nations. James would conclude in the council, it is my judgment therefore in Acts 15 that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Do we get that? That the call of the church is to connect the world with the good news of God's love. This is why you're a teacher. This is why you're a plumber. This is why you're an architect. This is why you're a bus driver. This is why we exist. So that we could be these royal priests and we could connect God to people. Becoming a Christ follower means that we view everything in our lives as something to be multiplied for God's kingdom. Just like the little fish and the loaves. Everything we have. Wait, you talking about my little bank account? You talking about the little bit of spare time I have? You talking about the kids? You talking about the, 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 my, my house and my talent? I can't really, I can't really do much. How, how can God use cross-stitching for his kingdom? God wants to multiply everything you have, friends. Everything. God is such a rich giver and a good father who loves to give gifts to his children, but he doesn't give us this blessing so that we can put them in a bucket. He blesses us so that we can use those same blessings to bless others and it starts this cycle. And when he can trust us with that, he gives us more blessing and more blessing and we just live with open hands and open hearts and we just give back and give back and give back. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 9 and it's, it's, about, it's about giving, but it's, it applies to everything. He who supplies seed to the sower, I love this, 2 Corinthians 9.10, will, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. He will multiply your seed. Like that widow that looked and like I got just a little flower left. 
Elijah's like, why don't you just make me a little, make me a little, break me off a little something there. And God just continued to, to supply it every day. Isn't that amazing? Friends, ask yourself this question. Why did God bless you so much? Think about it. Why, why were you not born in some third world country? In some slum somewhere? With no access to clean water? No access to the gospel? Why, why did he bless you the way he blessed you? You've probably never gone hungry on purpose ever why did God bless you the way he's blessed you because he wants to multiply the seed you see becoming this Christ follower means this fundamental reshaping of our life you look at everything you've been given as seed for sowing there are two things that you can do with seed you can grind it up and eat it or you can plant it. Why well, has God blessed you so much? He wants to multiply the blessings in your life into the lives of other people. I talked to a guy this week who's got a couple at his church who uh, retired in the C-suite of a big company and they, had lo they loved the beach. And so they had retired and they bought a beach home with their retirement and two weeks after their retirement they sold their house in Dallas and they moved to the beach and a couple weeks on the beach they're having breakfast one morning this beach house looking at this beautiful view they said what are we doing did we work our whole life for this and they sold the beach house and they moved back to where they came from and they made a commitment to each other and to the Lord that they would spend whatever life God had for them left investing it into other people. Let me ask you a few questions just for, as you process this. Is God your primary treasure and trust? You know how you can tell? Does he have the full authority to tell you what to do with everything in your life? That's how you know if he's your primary treasure and trust. Have you come to the point in your life where you told God that he can have it all? Where you lay it all down at his feet to do with as he wills? Your life, your talent, your resources, your kids, your kids' futures, your bank account, your vehicles, your vacation time? Your bonuses, everything. Lord, this is all yours. What would, you, what would you want to do with this? Where your life is a blank check to God, no holds barred. Let me be clear. This, that's not the super apostle or the super Christian. As a matter of fact, if you've not taken your hands off everything, you're not even a disciple of Jesus. He says, no one can put his hand to the plow and look back and still be my disciple. Those are my words, that's Jesus' words. You can get upset with him. Meaning that the one-handed plow, you can't put all your weight into the plow while looking back and try to accomplish building the kingdom of God and building your kingdom at the same time. He said, if you're, if you're not all in on it, you, 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 just, you can't even be my disciple. Well, why is, why is the threshold so high? 
He's not meaning that you have to go out there and perform. What he's saying is, friend, will you just trust me and bring me what you got? Just bring, just bring what you got. Second question, are you pursuing your earthly kingdom or your heavenly one? What are your resources and your talents being used to build? Please understand, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go into full-time ministry. God gave you talents and skills and business for a reason. But is your primary pursuit in those things to glorify God and to leverage what he's entrusted you for his purposes or for your own? Are you leveraging the money that God's given you for his kingdom or for yours? This is the above and beyond life. And it's a life that God invites all of us into, but it's a life that starts with a step of faith. That one question is so dangerous. And I want all of us to ask it here in just a minute. Lord, what would you have me do? The band can come up, I'm fixed to be done. Lord, what would you have me do? and then risk obeying him. This is the yielded yes. This is the blank check of your life. This is laying everything at his feet. This is saying, God, you are my trust and my treasure. You, have, you can have everything. Just tell me what you want me to do. With all the conditions about all the things, just say, God, I trust you. The real meaning of this story in Genesis 12 and in 18 as with all the Old Testament stories, this is really a story about Jesus. Jesus was the greater Abraham. He answered the call to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. And Isaac would be, Jesus would be the greater Isaac who would be sacrificed on top of the mountain for our sins. Yet when the father raised the knife over him, no angel would stand in the way. God would plunge it deep into his heart and he would wear a crown of thorns and be sacrificed in our place so that we could go free. And we can say, now I know God that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son from us. Jesus wanted to make sure that we remembered the seriousness of our sin and the great mercy of God. So he gave us this physical illustration, this physical symbol of this inward reality. He said, when you come together, this thing we call communion, I want you to take the bread, I want you to dip it into the drink and I want you to partake of it. Proclaiming my death until I come again. And we're gonna have that available for you in a minute. We got communion service going to their stations. But before we do anything, I just want you to just spend some time with the Lord. Can you imagine how scary it is to leave everything you know, your culture, your kin, your country, and follow God? What's God calling you to do? Let me promise you it's gonna be worth it. But it's gonna require you to take your hands off and trust him with it. I'm gonna pray for us. As I pray aloud, maybe you'll pray silently right there. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit that he would speak to you?
Maybe it would be a conviction of sin or encouragement where you're weak and weary and discouraged. Maybe you're in the middle of the roughest season of your life. And I mean, every day just seems like just bleak darkness. Friends, God's with you. Would you ask him just to, just to be near you? He's already there. Just make, make his presence known to you. Some of us in this room, we've been blessed so much, but we've, we've just poured it all in a bucket. We've not stewarded those resources, the talent that he's given us. And it's time to be a funnel of blessing. And again, I'm not even just talking about finances, but the Lord could be steering your heart to reconcile relationship, to bless someone. As Miss Emily said, just to ask someone how their day's going. Oh, God's on the move. And we miss him most times because we're so focused on ourselves. God, would you do in our hearts what only you can do? Lord, we, we call upon you. We depend on your spirit to lead us and guide us. Lord, what would you have me do? My yielded yes is on the table. I want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We've got the prayer team in the back. If you'd like to pray with someone, spend as much time as you need. Our communion servers are here. You come when you're ready. Communion at our church is an open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of our church, but you do have to be part of God's family. God's word's pretty clear on that. So if you're not part of God's family, you've never believed in him, trusted in him, then we ask you sit this one out. For everyone else, you come when you're ready. The prayer team's back there. Friends, don't leave here without hearing the voice of God and responding in obedience.